Okay, well, thank you all for being here tonight. It's uh, hope, hope, looking like, have we gotten some rain lately down here? Did we get some good rain this last couple days? Ain't <laughs> going around. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We got a little bit of rain today up in Ottawa, and it looks like it looks like it's supposed to rain again. Yeah, about that much, right? Right. Enough to keep the grass alive, I guess. They got four or five inches of KCI in okay. Kansas City the last day or two. Yeah. They hadn't had any, but they, all of a sudden they got four or five inches. Yeah. Sheesh. Well, I hope it doesn't split next time it comes through. When I'm from Kansas, actually, I was in a lake yesterday. It was probably about five-ish. Yeah. And it was pouring so hard. We were mm-hmm. going 20 miles an hour on the interstate. Oh, my word. But as you come this way, it just... Oh, yeah. Dry. Yeah, right. <laughs> Discouragement. You know, well, that is kind of a, a good intro, I guess, to what we're going to be talking about tonight. You know, in the Old Testament, the rain was always a, uh, a prime example of the sovereignty of God and um, he gives it to those whom he wishes, whether the whether they're the wicked or the righteous, and um, he withholds it as he wills. He gives it as he wills. He gives it in love. He he keeps it. He holds it back in chastisement. Not saying you guys are doing anything wrong over there. <laughs> Repent. <laughs> um, but it was always it was the the rain the the sustenance given to the earth was always a always symbolic of the sovereignty of God and His complete control over the affairs of man. And uh, today we're going to be talking about that a little bit in regards to a person's relationship with God. Um, And this is going to be in terms of what this catechism is referring to as the effectual calling. In fact, that's that's the question here. I'll read the question and we'll all read the answer together. What is effectual calling? Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, He persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the Gospel. Okay, so the, the very first important Um, portion of this to take note is that it is the work of God's spirit. Um, This effectual calling when he he calls us to himself. And let's look at that first passage there in 2 Timothy 1. If somebody can turn there real quick and read that for us. 2 Timothy 1, 9. I mean, that's a, that's a loaded verse. <laughs> he packs a whole lot of theology into that one little verse. And we're going to be kind of unpacking some of this throughout the rest of this catechism. Each one of these um, verses that I have on that sheet that I've handed out to you deals with a part, portion of this paragraph. But he saved us and called us with a holy calling. Okay, now he's going to qualify that. Not according to our works, okay? But according to his own purpose and grace. Now... He's juxtaposing our works with his own purpose and grace, which he has given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. 
Now, before you were even born, this was all part of God's plan, God's purpose. So, if that's the case, the, what in your life is your salvation hinging on? What part of your life? Some would say a decision. Some would say a decision, but even that decision was already foreordained before time began, according to this verse. And, that's, and this, this is one of those subjects that is extremely difficult to preach to those of us who are looking at this, trying to use our minds to figure this stuff out, where this is a situation where we must reference the Proverbs, where Solomon quotes 12 different times, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You have to understand that his ways are not my ways. His ways are higher than our ways. There are, there are some points of this conversation that we're never going to know. Why? <laughs> Why is it this way? Why was it before we were even created that the Lord had all this stuff figured out? Why didn't he leave any of it to our, to our decision making or to our um, lifestyle? Or Why didn't he leave any of it to chance, to, to free will? Why didn't he leave it to that? Why does it have to be according to his own purpose? Why does it have to be according to his grace that was given to us in Christ Jesus before time even began? Why does it have to be that way? Why can't it be according to our free will? I mean, every, every, we make all sorts of choices in this life. Um, why in the world can't the, our, our choices have something to do with this? Well, I mean, I can't give you all the answers to that. All I can tell you is what the Bible says. It's just according to his purpose. It's according to his purpose, according to his grace that he already gave to us in Christ Jesus before time began. And that's what the Bible says right there. You know, and then before time began, he purposed it. And you could read verse 10 and he says, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, um, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Okay, so we're invited into this immortality um, that God has, that he, according to his immortality, he, before time even began, um, planned our redemption. And now that Christ has appeared in real time, <laughs> now he's invited us in to share in this life, this light in immortality uh, through the gospel. So the gospel is not just a simple uh, teaching. It is an immortal concept that we will never completely and totally understand. But... With what capabilities God has given us and with what information God has, has given us, we must strive to learn. We must strive to receive and humble ourselves and submit ourselves to. And that's kind of the problem with this whole subject of ultimate sovereignty is that it's something that we have to submit to, not understand. And that's a, that's a difference that I think a lot of people don't make. We have to under, No, if we're going to believe something, we have to understand it first. No, not in God's kingdom, not in God's economy. In God's economy, you have everything <clears throat> that, you, that you need without ever having anything, <laughs> you know, in particular. You, you are a giver even if you have nothing to give. You know, we submit to truth even without understanding it. Not that we're all ignorant fools walking around um, like we have some sort of, you know, disability. That's not the problem. That's not the issue either. It's we submit to God because he's our authority. And he has said what is what, and so we submit to it, and then we learn of him however much we can. It kind of works that way with teaching subject matter. Mm -hmm. say, the kids to say, I don't get it, I don't yeah. just do what I tell you, and mm -hmm. eventually you'll, yeah. you'll get it. I think it works that way in the attitude and the kind yeah. of 
And have you ever had the? Don't get it at all. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep doing what I tell you. Yeah. And have you ever had those students where you're teaching them this true thing, and they're like, "No, no, no, that's not the way it was. No, 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 that's not how it goes." Have you ever had those students? And how many times do we do that to God? Right? I don't understand why why it is this way, so I'm just not going to believe it. I'm going to alter what is said here. I'm going to redefine it, reinterpret it, so that it makes sense to me. But here we see something that's very actually pretty clear. And we, it's in our best interest <laughs> to submit ourselves to it in humility rather than saying, no, God, you have to make this understandable to me before I'm going to believe what it says. Otherwise, I'm going to just, you know, I'll still claim the authority of Scripture, but I'm going to reinterpret things to make them a little bit more manageable in my mind. But anyway, let's keep moving on. The important thing is we address this with humility. That's the point. Acts 2.37. If somebody could read Acts 2.37, I would appreciate it. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men of brethren, what shall we do? Okay, so the point of this one is to discuss this uh, the effectual work of God's Spirit whereby he, convinc- he convinces us of our sin. Okay, so in this situation... Peter had just preached his first sermon. His, uh, what, what, what do you call that? Your, uh, the, you break into the field with this. Your inaugural speech, right? <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is Peter's inaugural address to the people. And he's telling them that they killed the Messiah and that they need to repent. And here we get to this verse. After he had finished his sermon, he says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. This is a description of what conviction looks like. Conviction isn't something that's simply cognitive, but it's, an, it's a work that the Holy Spirit does inside of you where you really see, I was wrong. I see the truth of what you're saying. I see that I have fallen short, and it cuts me to the heart. It's not just something, well, okay, fine. In order to get past this, I'll just say I'm sorry and move on. That's not conviction. That's just you trying to get past this thing. But here they're cut to, cut to the heart. And then they're in this being cut to the heart leads them in humility to say, what are we supposed to do? What do we do now? We, understand, you know, we are condemned. You have shown us our condemnation. What do we do now? So this is a description of conviction. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Someone could read that. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Okay, so there's a way to be sorrowful that doesn't actually produce any spiritual um, reconciliation. And it says the sorrow of the world produces death. You know, the sorrow of... You know, oops, I got caught. Now I feel ashamed. Uh, I feel guilty now because you caught me. But if you hadn't caught me, life would just go on like normal. Um, and there are different ways. My point, the, the bigger point that I'm trying to make here, um, or should I say Paul is trying to make here, is that sorrow is what leads to repentance. And this sorrow comes from the Spirit, and it leads us to salvation. Sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. The sorrow of, I have fallen short. The sorrow of, I have 
missed the mark. I have sinned. And I need to do something about it. I can't just stay like this. Something has to change. Not just so I can move on from this and not feel bad anymore. But there's a big problem here that needs to be resolved. Between me and God, first and foremost. <clears throat> so in Paul was... Paul was saying, like, you know, he, he's not sorry that they were sorrowful. Yeah, he may, have been, he may have felt bad when he was hurting them with the words. I mean, if you've read 1 Corinthians, you can see that he was extremely harsh with these people. Um, and it caused him sorrow. And Paul is saying he's not sorry that they were sorrowful, but he was happy that that sorrow led them to repentance. Or the things that he rebuked them for, they actually acted on. In humility. They repented. So this is uh, something that the Spirit leads us to, through, often through other believers. When a believer rebukes another believer, the point is not to cause a rift between two people, but to lead the person to God. It's not to cause the other person to, to pay you back for perhaps some hurt that they've done to you. But the point is for the person to turn from their sin to God. And this is, the, this is what is making Paul happy about their sorrow, that it led them to repentance, which leads to salvation. Okay, so Acts 26.18. Someone could read that. Okay, so here he's discussing in this paragraph, the, this effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ. So this is the enlightening of our minds in the knowledge of Christ. So, um, to open their eyes so that they might see, right? Because if your eyes are closed, you can't see anything. So this is figuratively of the Spirit, not just your physical eyes, Talking about the eyes that the inner, the eyes of the inner man, to see the spiritual reality. That's light and darkness. These are spiritual um, realities being described by things that we interact with on a daily basis. Light and darkness. So to open our eyes in order to turn us, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, in order to receive this salvation, what first had to happen? Enlightening. They had to have their eyes open. And that's not something that they were going to do on their own. Their eyes had to be opened. And I think the next passage that we're going to look at, will d- dive into that a little bit more. First uh, Corinthians 1, 18-31. If somebody could look at that. Well, that's a pretty long one. Maybe I'll just read this one. I'll just read it. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, 
It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. I'll just stop there. The rest of it kind of pushes that same concept. Um, So in this passage, I want you to put your thinking cap on. What does this have to do with being enlightened? What do you think this has to do with having your eyes opened? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a right, and, and that's part of it. You have to. The message has to be given to you. Okay. You have to be shown the truth. That's part of it. But there's another element of this here, and it's kind of this thing that I'm trying to get at here is for the is wrapped up in in this first verse we looked at. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What does that have to do with being enlightened? Having your eyes opened? Well, unless you have a wanted, it's foolish unless your eyes are open. Right. That's exactly it. You have, in order for you to really see the truth as being true... Your eyes have to be opened. If your eyes aren't opened, everything about the gospel looks ridiculous. It's like the instructions that God gave to Joshua when he said, Hey, here's a military strategy for you. Walk around Jericho and the walls will fall down. (laughs) That's not a good military strategy. That's foolishness. That's ridiculous. But in the hands of God, even something like that becomes might becomes strength, becomes power. And what he's saying here is, you know, Joshua, the only reason Joshua led his people in that military endeavor is because he trusted God. It's not because he thought he agreed that it was a good military strategy. No, the military strategy in his mind was that God was the one who's behind it. That's what he was going forth in. He wasn't going forth in, oh yeah, it makes sense. I've done this a million times. I, I walk around stuff all the time and it falls down. <laughs> They did blow trumpets, yes. And they had the Ark of the Covenant. and Yep. You know, it was the, it was the decibels that did it, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. In 27, it pretty much sums it up that the Lord chooses the things that seem foolish and the things that are weak, and that's how he works. Right. So that it cannot be of us. Right. And that's why Paul said elsewhere, I can't remember where, but I think it was in 1 Corinthians somewhere, you know, he purposefully came to them not trying to say anything lofty or this deep doctrine to try to impress the people. No, he came with a simple message because the power is in God, not the preacher and his message. Yeah, that's verse is that verse 17? Yeah. Oh, so it's right before. Yeah, and that's exactly right, because there are many people out there trying to sound all smart and stuff, but people start following the person rather than following Christ. That's just the way of man. We like to follow a good leader. 
And a lot of us are trying to become good leaders, which then nullifies the leadership of Christ because we are, in, in a sense, being surrogate messiahs because we're trying to lead people with our affluency. But Paul was saying, no, I don't, that's not how I came to you. I'm not trying to lead you with my ability. I just want you to come to Jesus because that's where the power is. And then he dives into this, this discourse about... Um, I mean, the, it's, it's up to God really anyway. If, you, if your eyes are opened, you're going to see the truth as being true. If your eyes are not opened, then it's all going to be foolish to you. So you need to have your eyes opened by the Spirit if you're going to really understand this. So how, even, you know, the gospel is not received by our own power, and it's not even pro- transmitted by, our, by the power of man. It's still God. He uses means like the trumpets or whatever. We, we speak. How can they hear without a preacher? We give the message. And God opens the eyes. Look at Ezekiel 36, 26. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you the heart of your flesh. In this, in, this, in this one, we're kind of moving on in this paragraph to um, the renewal of our wills. Through the spirit, our will is renewed. Because our will is something that is carnal or it's spiritual. With the will, the will is what moves a man. Our will. You know why? Why some of us have had children, right? And how do you? Do, how would you define a strong-willed child? Stubborn. <laughs> stubborn. And what makes them stubborn? Mulish. What? Mulish. Mulish. Yep. Stubborn mule. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Their way. Right. Because it's the will of a person that causes them to act or not to act. Sometimes a child will, no, I'm not doing what you want. Or I'm going to do it whether you want me to do it or whether you want, want it or not. <laughs> you know, because the will is what drives a person. Um, I'm not going to tell any stories. <laughs> um, but... We have to have our, our wills renewed so that we will follow God and obey God. A strong-willed child rarely obeys his parents. If we are strong-willed, are we going to follow God in his ways? Probably not. Um, look at Titus, in the, just in the same concept, look at Titus 3. Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 3. I'll read these ones. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Okay, so this was our way of life. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by the works of righteousness which we have done, But according to his mercy, he saved us. How did he save us? Through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So you see that we have our, our wills renewed by the Holy Spirit, not by self help books. Not because we had a good life coach, even though 
you know, we need mentors, we need counseling, we need to be led, we need shepherds, we need to know the way, we need the way told to us, we need to learn, we need to read. But the renewal of our will, the renewal of our mind, the effectual work is done by the Holy Spirit. In this, once we're met face to face with the loving kindness of our God. We have our will renewed. We've got to move on, though. John chapter 6, verses 44 to 45. If somebody could read that. Okay, so this moves on to he persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ. No man comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And this is another very clear passage. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. You want to come to Christ? You have to be drawn by the Father. It doesn't say you have to be drawn by a preacher or an evangelist or a good book or a blog. You have to be drawn by the Father. This is a spiritual work. This is not a work that happens simply because you say the right words in the right order, in the right time, in the right place. If the Father isn't drawing them, that they're not going to come. They might agree with your ethical system that is accompanied by your Christianity. They might come to church. They might dress the right dress. They might say the right words. They might play the right parts. But if they're following after just you telling them, it's in your, you know, don't, you don't want to go to hell, do you? And trying to scare them into salvation. Oh no, I don't want to do that. What do I got to do? Oh, you got to pray this prayer, and then you got to come to church, and you got to, you know, that's that's just the way. That's wisdom of man, right? Telling them if you if you get all your ducks in a row, then it'll all work out for you. That's essentially what that message portrays. Here, this is a spiritual work. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up in the last day. You know, we recently watched the movie. Well, about a Paul, that it's a new movie, The Apostle Paul. Have you guys seen that movie? One of the things that stuck out to me when we were watching that movie, remember when we watched that? Yeah. One of the things that stuck out to me is towards the end, Paul was talking to the, um, whatever, whoever was running the prison, whatever that guy was called. I don't remember his name. Um, and he was, you know, the, the, um, the uh, the prison master. What is that guy called? What's that? The warden. The warden. The, ward, warden? the prison warden was kind of picking Paul's brain. And Paul was expressing the gospel and being very fluent and eloquent and convincing. And, and then the warden was like, you know, you, you know, what if I never get saved? And then Paul responded, well, I wasn't really trying to convince you. <laughs> that kind of stuck out to me. Um, and it kind of c- comes down to this concept here where he says, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Like, Paul wasn't worried. Like, you need to accept Christ before I die. I need to see you accept Christ. He wasn't worried because it's not his work. Paul was simply meant to proclaim the gospel and all who the Lord would draw would come to him. He wasn't worried about people not coming to Christ because he knows no one can come to the Father, come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. People don't come to Christ because we draw them. Even though we're supposed to be out there 
presenting the gospel and drawing people in as though it were God pleading with mankind, the Bible says. At the same time, we don't do it with anxiety because we know that when the Father draws somebody, then they'll come. When the Father draws somebody, they will come. And it says in verse 45, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. He's making it very simple, even though acting this part out is very complex sometimes. But when it comes down to it, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So our prayer is, when we evangelize, when we spread the gospel with people, the biggest thing is prayer. It's, I'm going to give you the truth, but then I'm going to pray, Father, compel them. I've compelled them, but that's not what's going to do the work. Father, you have to compel them. That's the prayer that should always be accompanying our efforts to draw people to Jesus Christ, because it's not our drawing, it's the Father's drawing that does the work. And that they will go here because he has determined that that's the way that he will draw. Right, right, and it, yeah. How can they hear without a preacher? Exactly. So it is, like this is almost the concept of sovereignty and free will working together. God has ordained that we should work, but at the end of the day, it's all within his sovereignty. If it's going to come together, it's going to be the Lord doing that effectual calling, which is this catechism, even though we are called to come alongside and be the hands, feet, and the voice of Christ. And then the last verse here, 1 Peter 1, 3-9. Somebody can read that when she gets there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay, so this is all about faith. And where does this faith come from? Um, <clears throat> according to this passage. In verse 5, we are kept, how are we kept? Yeah, so we are kept safe, secure in his salvation, in his favor, through faith, by the power of God. Not through faith because you are keeping your faith up. Not because you keep, you know, working the generator, keeping the faith generator going, because you stay up late nights and you... You work tirelessly trying to keep your faith going. No, it says by the power of God, through faith. That's how we're kept in his salvation. 
And this is really where it comes down to the ultimate test of, okay, how do you, how, and it's especially difficult in our American society. It's so hard to tell if somebody is just playing a part or if they're truly, sincerely in the faith. Because it's so easy to play the part. It's so easy to be a Christian and look like all the other Christians. Because there's no persecution. So what's the, uh, what's the test? Okay, so God will send us through fires. God will send us through tests and trials. To, to, to what? Verse 7, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perish, <clears throat> may result, may be found to the praise and honor and glory through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Those who are truly in the faith stand the test of time. They don't fall away because they're not kept by the power of our own, our own ability to keep our faith going. Because our faith is, we're kept by the power of God. God is the engine of our faith. His power is the engine of our faith, and He will not fail. So that's really the test of the sincerity of our faith. Do we fall away? Well, don't, don't try to... I know, I, I don't think any of us here probably could say that I, we don't know somebody who kind of made a profession when they were young, but never, never really walked the walk. I mean, we all know somebody like that. And it's better, it's good to make ourselves feel, well, not good, it's natural to help ourselves feel better about them by saying, well, they made a profession of faith when they were in camp as a teenager, <laughs> even though look at their life. But if the power of God is what keeps us in the faith, that can't happen if they're sincere because it's the power of God that drives them. It's the power of God. So we need to search out those people and to edify them and build them up lest they fall away. We need to see to it that they are proclaim, preach the gospel lest they find themselves at the end of their days to be lacking. Because we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. God keeps us strong. God keeps us in the faith. He's the one who gave it to us. He's the one who, who worked all of Jewish history, oh man, world history really, to bring about the Messiah for thousands of years. And what, he's just going to let you go because you screwed up a few times? <laughs> That's not the way God works. His power keeps us if we are truly his. Because of this effectual calling that comes from the, the ultimate sovereignty of God. Not the sovereignty of man. Not the, not the affluency of our free will, which he uses. We, all, we all must always have our eyes fixed on God. That's how we can come to Christ when he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How can you do that if we don't really believe that God is in control? How can you do that unless you know that God is able to carry you and ready and going to carry you? There's just no foundation for believing that if you don't believe that God is sovereign. We're going to see that in David's life, his mm -hmm. situation, of why he can do something so bad and yet yeah. be called a man after my own heart. Right, right, exactly. I mean, he's the only, I'm pretty sure he's the only guy in the Bible who has that, you know, that uh, description. <laughs> and then there's Manasseh. 
Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But keep your eyes on Christ. Look at you know. Go through these passages throughout the week and remind yourself of the goodness of God that's been poured out to you, and seek His face. Don't just try to better yourself, but seek the Lord. 